Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports show from RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. This week we have a bit of a rugby special with the first All Black squad of the year about to be announced. We'll hear from coach Steve Hansen while our rugby reporter gives us his thoughts on what changes there will be. We also find out how New Zealand rugby is trying to gain a stronger footing in Auckland. Black Caps coach Mike Hessen has decided to stay on for another three years while one of New Zealand's most successful netball coaches hits a milestone. The All Blacks will on Sunday name their first squad since last year's World Cup defence. The post-World Cup exodus has robbed the champions of a host of senior players, including several Centurions and captain Richie McCaw. Steve Hansen and his coaching staff face a unique task in world rugby. They must rebuild the core of the side, blood new players, find new leaders and advance the sport, all while being expected to win every game. Rugby reporter Joe Porter caught up with Steve Hansen to discuss the upcoming squad selection and the challenges ahead. It's an exciting challenge, I think, um, no doubt about that. And you know, I'm a firm believer when you when you cut the big trees down that cast the biggest shadows, then uh, you know, it allows other things to grow, and um, you know, you've, all of a sudden you get other big trees. So you know, our challenge is, is is not so much replacing the rugby talent because I think we've got we, we can do that. Uh, we've worked, we've known for some time that. Uh, we're going to lose these players and, and we've put steps in place to try and nullify the loss of that talent um, in place. The biggest uh, thing we, I think we, we need to work on to, is what, what you said um, about the chemistry that comes with those guys and that chemistry is about their leadership experiences, it's about um, their body language when they're under pressure. Um, knowing deep down they've got a, you know, that group had an inner self-belief that no matter what was happening they could still find a way. And it's now the, the challenge for the next group to, to you know, take on that mantra and uh, again um, I think we've got to try and accelerate that learning for them. We don't, uh, we don't need to have adversity uh, to learn those things. We need to just make sure that uh, we're aware of them and um, that we work hard in our preparation uh, with our what-ifs and, and uh, you know, don't get threatened by the constant pressure there is that comes with, with leadership. And, and you talk about losing the players, the, the combinations too. Everyone knows about Ma'a and Conrad and what they brought, but Ma'a and Dan Carter obviously had a, an incredible understanding despite the fact they never really played Super Rugby together. Those sorts of things, I guess, are other, other things that are hard to scientifically replace, so to speak. Yeah, but we've got guys that have combinations. You know, um, whilst we haven't got Sonny for this first June series, he'll be back and there's a combination between him and Crude and um, Lima and Malachi have got combinations. Uh, so combinations aren't that difficult to replace if you give them time and 
you know, the, the big one is the midfield, isn't it? Because not only have we lost Mar and Conrad, we've also lost Sonny. So they're the three guys that that uh, set the World Cup on fire yeah. uh, in the midfield and allowed us to have a, you know, a, a um, one, two, three punch, so yeah. to speak. We could change it up. Yeah. Um, and uh, we could change the picture whenever we wanted to, and, and you know, we won't have that luxury in June. But you know, what an exciting challenge for, for people like Ryan Crotty and yeah. Natai and, yeah. and uh, Malakai Fikatawa and others. You, know, you look at someone like Sam Kane, been sitting waiting for his opportunity, yeah. uh, and you know, we don't expect him to be Richie McCall um, because. Because he's not, he's Sam Kane. So he'll bring Sam Kane's style of game to us, and his role now is to enhance the jersey just as Richie did. Uh, Kieran Reid's getting the opportunity to captain the side, and again, he won't captain the same way as Richie, but he'll have his own way and his own style, and we just need to make sure that that's effective for the team, and I'm sure it will be. When you pick debutants for the team or guys that are new to the environment, do you search for players with an apparent attitude that you think will be, I guess, conducive to helping the All Blacks environment, or do you back the All Blacks environment to be that well-cultured that no matter who you bring in, you can effectively turn them into the player and man, so to speak, that you want? I mean, the first thing uh, you select them on is their ability to play the game. (laughs) Um, And do they have the talent? to be able to deliver, do they have the mental capacity to cope with uh, the constant pressure that comes with being an All Black and do they need a little bit of time um, to fit into the environment uh, to deal with that pressure you you start to look at the characteristics, do they have the characteristics to cope, Uh, if they don't that usually is reflected in in some form of behaviour that's not consistent with the way All Blacks operate it's a fairly unique challenge in world rugby because I guess you're post-World Cup, you're replacing all these players, you've got to maintain the levels of culture, maintain the levels of performance, balance within your squad, etc. But you have to win every single game and you also have to try and move it forward because essentially that's what the Yorks have done throughout history. So it's, it's pretty unique. Well, it's, it's unique in that no one's won two back-to-back World Cups. You know, uh, It's unique that because history tells you that usually there's a slump. And last time uh, we managed not to have that slump. You know, We went... Uh, through a period of four years where you know we played some good rugby and um, managed to win more than we lost uh, and again we now know that it's possible so we're not trying to do something that is not you know that's impossible we're trying to do something that we know is very possible uh, we know that uh, team culture is very important to being successful we know that preparation is the key to success and, and we know that uh, we have a game that that we play that suits us yeah. uh, but we know we have to keep building on that game otherwise others will catch up and go past it so it's a little bit like rust it never stops so we, we, we've just got to make sure we have that desire and that passion to want to get better and, and, and keep improving if we do that you know, we've got plenty of talent to be a good side with that desire to progress and improve do you ever feel hampered by the public's I guess, expectation that you have to win every game? Um, no, I think that's one of the things we've actually mastered. I think uh, in the past, maybe it's been a burden for some teams, but it's, it's the one thing we know is constant, <laughs> that we are going to be scrutinised and there are high expectations of our fans and we wouldn't want that to change because we, we know that that's, what's one of the, that's one of the things that's driven this team to be as successful as it has been because of the, the um, 
those external high expectations raise the expectations even higher uh, internally and, and um, that's something that allows us to keep driving and pushing the boundaries and you know, I think it's a good thing. That's Steve Hansen talking to Joe Porter. Joe has put this item together with his thoughts on what the All Black squad to prepare for the Wales series will look like. The All Blacks will be without five Test Match Centurions, including first five Dan Carter and captain and open side Richie McCaw. McCaw was the team's talisman and his record of success is unprecedented, though Hansen believes his retirement clears the way for another star to emerge. When you cut the big trees down that cast the biggest shadows, then uh, it allows other things to grow. And um, you look at someone like Sam Kane, been sitting waiting for his opportunity. We don't expect him to be Richie McCall, because he's not. He's Sam Kane. His role now is to enhance the jersey just as Richie did. The former All Blacks coach John Hart says replacing playing talent won't be a problem. The major problem is solved because of the way they have uh, handled their succession planning over the last three or four years. And I think the All Blacks selection panel done a brilliant job in that regard. And so the big challenge they're going to have is undoubtedly in the leadership area. Hansen says Hart is on the money and says reproducing the team's winning chemistry will be a challenge. That chemistry is about their leadership experiences. It's about their body language when they're under pressure. Deep down, they've got a you know, that group had an inner self-belief that no matter what was happening, they could still find a way. However, it's the loss of midfielders Ma'a Nonu and Conrad Smith, as well as the absence of Sonny Bill Williams, that Hansen says will hurt the most. Not only have we lost Mar and Conrad, we've also lost Sonny. So they're the three guys that set the World Cup on fire and allowed us to have a one-two-three punch. You know, we won't have that luxury in June. Fikitor and Crotty are the only current all-black midfielders available from last year and it's understood they'll get the first crack at Wales next month with the Chiefs' Charlie Nartai to make his debut at some point. Hansen says while packed largely on talent, the selectors also look for players who will fit into the all-blacks culture. Do they have the mental capacity to cope with uh, the constant pressure that comes with being an All Blacks? Do they have the characteristics to cope? Uh, if they don't, that usually is reflected in, in some form of behaviour that's not consistent with the way All Blacks operate. The selection of the back three should prove interesting. Julian Savir, Ben Smith and Waisaki Naholo are lock-ins, and dynamic fullback Damian McKenzie is likely to be inducted into the All Blacks environment. Hart says with Nehe Milnaskada injured, he'd include a resurgent Israel Dag to free up Ben Smith to cover the wing. However, the former All Black Christian Cullen believes Dag will miss out. McKenzie covers first five fullback. He's had a pretty pretty good year and uh, and showing what he can do. You know, Bowden Barrett covers first five fullback. So I mean, guys like Dag is yeah, he's come back and he's played well, but a bloke like him might be the unlucky one. And good news for Highlanders fans who were miffed last year when none of their Super Rugby winning forwards were picked. Standout flanker Elliot Dixon is expected to be in the team. Joe Porter with that report, and you're listening to Extra Time. Rugby has long been regarded as New Zealand's national game, but the sports leaders fear the sport could become irrelevant in the country's biggest city. Auckland's increasing ethnic diversity a teenage drop-off in participation, an ever-increasing number of sporting options are all playing a part. In a bid to halt the sports decline in Auckland, New Zealand Rugby has launched a five-year plan to turn things around, as Matt Chatterton reports. Of the 150,000 registered rugby players in New Zealand, 40,000 come from the wider Auckland region. But that 40,000 equates to less than 3% of the wider Auckland population, and that doesn't sit well with New Zealand Rugby. A 2014 joint survey between Auckland Council and Sport New Zealand 
showed rugby sits just 20th on the list of sports participated in by Aucklanders. Last year, an attempt to increase participation by 5% across the Auckland region failed. New Zealand Rugby Chief Executive Steve Chu says that's forced the union to make Auckland rugby a top priority. It's a simple matter of metrics and if we are not relevant in this um, in this broader geographical space that spans the Bombay Hills to the to the uh, north of um, Albany, then we won't be relevant in the country. It's just as simple as that. One area New Zealand rugby is targeting is secondary school students. The organisation's wider Auckland Strategy Initiatives manager, Simon Devoy, says large numbers of children are leaving the sport in the move from primary to secondary school. Kids equally, they love the combat and they love um, smashing people, if you like, came back in the feedback, but equally there's a concern about getting hurt. And then primarily the, the reason that kids um, give up uh, or carry on playing is around the adult experience and coaches have a disproportionately high impact on that. So essentially what they're saying is the better the coach, the more that kids tend to enjoy rugby. A number of initiatives have been introduced in an attempt to encourage more young teenage players, such as a new under-69 kg competition, a tennis side tournament and ripper rugby, non-tackle rugby. But even with all these varieties of the game, rugby still isn't the most played sport in Auckland. College Sports Auckland runs all the school sport competitions in Auckland, working with nearly 100,000 students. The head of the organisation, Dave Curry, says rugby is only the third most played sport in Auckland schools behind netball and football. He says the biggest problem facing rugby in schools is its perception. Football is, is a simpler game. It's so easier to coach and to umpire. Rugby is a bit more complex and I think you know, that's part of the trouble. And the other part of the trouble, I think, there is some concern from parents around you know, concussion and, uh, and whatever. And I think that is having, uh, is having some impact as well. Curry says sports need to be acutely aware of the changing makeup of Auckland's ethnic population and the way sport is viewed. The sports that are going to do well are those that understand the environment in Auckland and provide competition structures and formats that meet the needs of you know, the emerging and existing student population. So recognise what's happening in Auckland and adapt to those changes. So if you do that well, then you'll remain competitive. If you don't, then you will struggle. If New Zealand rugby can achieve this, then the national game will be Auckland's game once again. Matt Chatterton with that report, and this is Extra Time. The Black Caps coach Mike Hesson had a change of heart and will continue as New Zealand cricket coach for a third term. Since taking over as coach in 2012, Hesson has overseen a marked improvement in New Zealand's standing in international cricket and they are now ranked number one in T20s, second in one-day internationals and fifth in tests. When he renewed his contract last time, he was adamant the current stint would be his last, but told sports editor Stephen Hewson what brought about a change of heart which will see him stay until after the 2019 World Cup. Very much a, a family decision. Um, you know, obviously the amount of time we spend away is, is incredibly difficult on families, so um, it was something that certainly had to work through with Kate um, and the kids, and um, ultimately they're very supportive um, to, for us to, to hang on to the next World Cup. And, you know, from a cricket decision it was very easy, but certainly from a family point of view it was, um, you know, there was a lot of discussion there. What is it that excites you about the years ahead? Uh, well, I think it's a, like I said, a new leadership group, a new leadership model, and you know, with Kane coming on board and um, being able to to re-sign um, some really key support staff is, is also 
you know, really important for me and, and I think the group to have that solidity. So, um, yeah, excited about the group that we've got. The, the changes that have come about, is that in a sense make the, the role more exciting than, than if things had been maybe the, the same old, same old? Oh, look, I think that, you know, in this sport it's always, you know, it always changes. You have, you know, your players come and go and you have coaches come and go, but um, what's really important to this group is that is that consistency and stability and um, and it certainly helped lead to performance. So, um, yeah, I, I guess you're motivated by every group, but I think, as I said, with, with change happening recently, um, I think it's really important to have that, you know, that consistency off the field as well. Did you feel any pressure on that? Because if the coach had departed, given the ch- all the change that has gone on, the impact that that might have had on the team? Um, oh, look, it was a factor, but, it, you know, I'm still highly motivated to um, to do the job I'm doing. And as I said, I love the job. I love the people we work with. Um, and there are some really exciting challenges ahead with, you know, world events and, and big test series coming up. So um, it's certainly an exciting time to be part of it. And um, you generally only get one go at this job. So... It's one that I, you know, want to make as big a difference as I can. Have you, or are you, able to restructure things a bit so you're not away from home as much? Is that part of what might lie ahead for the next couple of years? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think a big part of, you know, being a head coach is succession planning as well, and, and growing, your, you know, staff that are that work in the environment, and certainly with Craig McMillan there, certainly um, an excellent batting coach, and certainly evolving as a, you know, as an assistant and, and a team coach as well, and. You know, looking forward to giving him some more opportunities. So we might see him taking the side away as opposed to yourself. Oh, look, possibly there might be the odd game here or there, or um, or series where um, you know Craig, um, part of his development and part of the development of the group might be for him to to look after some games. And um, key for us is making sure that when that happens, that um, whoever it may be is, is ready to go. And you would see him as your natural successor. No, I don't think I don't think that's the case. I think, as I said, you're always trying to grow all of your support staff, and um, you know when I end up leaving, they'll, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that your assistant will come straight in. And to be fair, that might not be the the best thing for the team. You might need some further team experience. But um, our job is to make sure that he's he's definitely a possibility for that job. And, and would you see yourself going on between post 2019? No. No, I wouldn't. I think that every every coach has a um, a shelf life with a with a group, and, and I think 2019's um, the right time for for us, um, you know, as a family, and also for me to to move on to other things and the team. I think the team will also need a new voice by that time. Black Caps coach Mike Hesson talking to sports editor Stephen Hewson. The Southern Steel netball coach Nolene Taurua hits a milestone this weekend as she will coach in her 100th Trans-Tasman Netball League game. Taurua spent the majority of her career so far with the Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic and led them to New Zealand's only title in 2012. She then took some time away from the game and joined up with the Steel this year. They're so far unbeaten. I spoke to Taurua and asked her about what sort of support she's had during her coaching career. I've had, always had good people around me. Um, I think there's numerous sort of um, sources that are available. Um, you know, for my earlier years, I've had a guy called Bruce Blair, who at that time was with Sport New Zealand or coaching Sport New Zealand. Um, and now he's heavily involved with New Zealand Rugby Football Union. Um, so he was a very much a sounding board, a, a coach in his own right. Um, with cricket, but also, um, yeah, just a sounding board to help you through some of the stickiest situations. 
Um, I think on top of that, your family and your friends. Um, I've also learnt a huge amount from players that I've probably been on the same journey with. So, example, the Lauras, the Irene's, um, the Casey's as well. And, you know, we've all learnt in that same space. So it's a numerous, there's quite a few people. And I think, once again, you're always learning and you're always trying to look for that person that's going to help you in that respect. Uh, winning the ANZ Championship with the Magic, uh, do you look back at that and, you know, do you try and replicate things, you know, because obviously winning is, is, is what it's all about? Yeah, winning is what it's all about, um, especially for me. And oh, I think, you know, it's, it's there's nothing better than actually performing out there and, and being on the top of the table. And, you know, it's, I don't get quite that same feeling when you're relishing at the bottom. Um, but the excitement, you know, and that's it's sort of a bit of endorphin. But um, it's quite difficult. You're working with different people from different communities and different values. And even though you're working from a same framework, um, so to speak, you have to keep adjusting it, um, adjusting it to influence the type of people and the people that you're working with. And, you know, I think you can't go in in any community or any organisation as I've sort of come into Southern Steel and start waving the stick. Um, so, you know, what we're currently doing at the moment has been a long time coming and it's been a wee while for them to actually transition into the space of being a performance culture. Um, but I think as well, you know, with Magic, we purely about performance and purely about winning. Um, and I think that mindset has also played a big part of where the girls are currently sitting. And, and what's what's um, what's good out on court and what's crap, basically, you know, and, and not hiding and making excuses. So we're very upfront and we are transitioning in a good way. Uh, do you want to coach the Silver Ferns and do you think it's going to happen? Um, you know, I think that last miss that I had and probably not making it to the um, shortlisting actually took a look quite a bit out of me and um, for that I probably more got a philosophical way and there was a moment where I said, oh, well, you know, they can go and stick it and all the rest of it. But, you know, I think where I am at the moment, um, I'm really happy about being with Southern Steel and, and coming into this environment has been awesome for my own growth. Um, I think I've sort of looked at the world now of just doing what I'm doing at the current space and if something opens up, um, I will look at that um, when it does arise. Um, so I'm not going to say now, maybe in a, you know, a couple of months ago I would have said, no, I'm never going back there again, but I'm not actually going to go there in regards to where my head space is. And if it opens up at a particular time and I feel that I'm ready to go in there and my family's ready, then I'll give it a go and vice versa. Australian coaches get picked up in, in all sorts of sports. What does that say perhaps about uh, them or also is there a lack of top coaches in New Zealand? Well, you know, the good thing, I think, where they've got the new competition that's going to happen next year, where they've got something like eight franchises that are coming out of Australia, it's a good time for the Australian coaches who are currently in New Zealand to actually go home. Um, to be honest, it may sound a bit rough. I do feel we've got coaches here in New Zealand um, who have gone through the pathways and need an opportunity to be able to present themselves. Um, with only you know five or six teams that are here now, it's difficult when you've got coaches who regurgitate themselves around and go to different places. 
um, as you know currently is happening. So I think there's new opportunities for coaches to, or the Australian coaches to go back to Australia and present themselves there, which will open up um, more opportunities for us in New Zealand. And um, I know these coaches that are ready and waiting for those um, for those positions to open. Southern Steel Nepal coach Nolene Taurua. New Zealand's champion 49er sailors Peter Burling and Blair Tuke have just completed another stint in Rio de Janeiro as they continue their preparations for the Olympics. The pair completed an America's Cup regatta with Team New Zealand in New York before heading to Brazil to continue their familiarisation of the Olympic venue. Burling and Tuke are favourites for gold as their run of 26 regattas unbeaten continues. I spoke to Burling just before he left Rio and asked him what they'd achieved on their latest visit. It's always been our plan to, to spend a bit of time down here. It's you know, a really tricky place to sail and it takes a bit of getting used to the conditions. And uh, Also, we wanted to check that all our gear and, and you know, if ever the equipment had made it here in good shape and to finalise uh, some of the, the parts we're going to be using uh, in August. So it's been a really good trip down here and uh, really, um, yeah, got a lot of stuff ticked off, but uh, it's always... You know, challenging because the, the days are so short and uh, it's, it's quite hard to get some stuff done. So I'm really happy with uh, where we're at and looking forward to getting home for a bit of time off. So how have you found the conditions? I mean, you've been there before, but, uh, you know, the course and the winds and that sort of thing this time? Just how I remember it, to be honest. It's, you know, it's not, not much has changed and uh, it's a, a really tricky place to sail and a really interesting place to sail. So that should be... Um, you know, some, some good uh, conditions come come August. So, when you go back at August, would you like to have plenty of time and your and your lead up to the actual start of the regatta? Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, had our, had our build up and been thinking about how we're going to build up to the games for, for quite a while now, and uh, we've got another trip down to Rio before the before the Olympics, and then yeah, our final trip's actually uh, quite short. So, something that we definitely want to come in fresh and. Uh, recharge and you know the best way we find to do that is to, to spend a bit of time at home and uh, we're, we're looking forward to getting home and, and trying to recharge the batteries now before we uh, take off again in uh, about three weeks time. So um, in comp- competitions leading up to the Olympics are there any? Uh, yeah there's um, yeah, we've got one more team in New Zealand and two more I think in the 49ers so that's something that you know we're obviously carrying on pushing on to, to try and get better and and keep improving our skills, but uh, something that yeah, there's definitely uh, <coughs> definitely plenty of things to, to sort out before uh, before Rio, and I'm really uh, looking forward to the challenger. Uh, so you don't take your foot off the gas because I'm assuming in those competitions you want to just uh, you know keep pointing out to everyone that you're the best around. Yeah, it's definitely something that you are going to them to, to try and win them, but uh, something that a lot of the time you have another. Another agenda, another thing you're trying to work on at the same time to, to try and improve with that, that long-term goal of, you know, getting the gold medal for New Zealand uh, come August. And that's something that for us, you know, that that's what, we, what we're aiming for and we're not overly worried about the next couple of events, but uh, it'd be really nice to, to try and take them out. Uh, so we're closing into R- the Olympics at Rio. How did you find the uh, the water conditions this time? Uh, yeah, it's pretty similar to how we remember and uh, something that it's not not quite as nice as home, but no, it's something that you know for us we just have to, to go and race on on the harbour and you know get on with it. And uh, some in August uh, they're going to hand out a you know, an Olympic medal on, on that, that space. So 
uh, something that we're getting used to it now, and we've got some, some pretty good uh, plans in place. And is the buzz increasing? Is it getting pretty exciting in Rio, is it? Yeah, well, I think there's not that many, I'm not sure how many sports actually spend a lot of time in, in Rio before the, the competitions, but uh, for ourselves, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, starting to get closer now, but uh, we're, um, we're pretty happy with how we're going at the moment. That's New Zealand sailor Peter Burling, and you're listening to Extra Time. The New Zealand heavyweight boxer Joseph Parker is now the number one contender for a challenge for the IBF world title after beating Carlos Takam earlier this week. Parker extended his record to 19-0 with the unanimous points decision in the 12-round bout in South Auckland. The 24-year-old is now in line for a fight against Britain Anthony Joshua for the IBF belt at the end of the year. Parker's next opponent has since been announced. He will take on former NRL player Solomon Homono in Christchurch in July. After the Takam fight, Morning Report Susie Ferguson spoke to Parker's trainer, Kevin Barry. Well, Joseph Parker made a major step up on Saturday night um, fighting Carlos Takam. He's one of the elite fighters in the heavyweight division and a much bigger task than anything we'd ever put in front of him before. So uh, it, it, was a, it was a big test that came with a big risk, but uh, the young man, Joseph Parker, reached down. Uh, he dug deep. In fact, he had to dig very, very deep, uh, but he got the job done. Unanimous points decision, though. So does that mean that he's at the point now where he could and will be wanting to go for the, the big fight, the big bout? Well, you know, that fight on Saturday night secured Joe as the mandatory number one contender with the IBF, which assures Joe, providing he doesn't lose between now and the title fight, it assures that he will fight the champion of the world of the uh, IBF um, within a nine-month period. And so where's, where's his thinking? Where's your thinking now? Well, obviously, um, for, for training camps and preparation and everything we do now, we're, we, we need to focus, now that we've secured this number one position, we need to focus on Anthony Joshua. So, you know, I'll be bringing in uh, a lot of uh, training partners, sparring partners who resemble the size, stature of Anthony Joshua and start preparing Joe to fight a, you know, a, a very big man for the world title. You feel that he did well on Saturday night. There has been quite a bit written that, you know, he didn't have enough stamina, that his power has perhaps been overrated. You disagree? <laughs> Look, it's, it's easy for people to be critical. You know, when you look, firstly, before we get critical, look how far this young man has come in just over three years. He's now not only number one with the IBF, he's number one in the world with the WBO and number six with the WBC. People are used to watching Joseph Parker knock other opponents out. You know, in several fights, Joe has shown one-punch knockout power. Joe not only has very fast hands, he has very heavy hands. But Carlos Tacken, we knew, was a very, very durable fighter, um, a very experienced fighter. You don't knock everyone out that you fight. Um, so, you know, it's easy for people to be critical and say, oh, well, he, you know, he didn't knock him out. But these are the same people that if Joe had gone out there and knocked Carlos Takam out in one round would have said, oh, Joseph Parker's fighting a bum. So, look, it was a, it was a fantastic learning experience. You know, Joe learned more in that fight against Carlos Takam on Saturday night than any of his previous 18 fights. That is a fight that will shape his career moving forward. So, Kevin, will you be with him? all the way now to the title fight? Well, that's a very good question. And um, Joe and I have a very 
strong relationship. We've had excellent results together in the just over three years that he's been living with me in Las Vegas. He's like a son to me. We've, we're obviously a good team. He listens to me most of the time. I would have liked him to follow a, a, a few more of the game plans that we had in place during the fight on, on Saturday. There were times where he lapsed. But, you know, that question... Um, you never really know in boxing, but all I know is that you know we have a, a tremendous association and a great relationship. Do you think he's going to be a world champion? Um, I think Joseph Parker has all the tools to become world champion. We didn't see all the tools on display on Saturday night. That's why we know that even with the great results that we've had in the last three years, you know that fight on Saturday showed me that there is still a lot to improve on that we still have a lot of work to do, especially leading up to fighting a, a fighter of the caliber of Anthony Joshua. But I will say, on Anthony Joshua's record, there is nothing like Carlos Tacken on Anthony's uh, career record to date. Well, that's extra time for this week. You can get in touch with us via Twitter, at RNZ Sport. Bye for now. 